Numbers chapter 9. We begin at verse 15. I'm waiting on you for a moment. Thank you. Yes. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. on the day the tabernacle the tent of testimony was set up the cloud covered it from evening until morning the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire that's how it continued to be the cloud covered it and at night it looked like fire Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites camped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out. And at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Verse 19, when the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Verse 20, sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp. And then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud only stayed from evening until morning which in the Jewish mind was one day and when it lifted in the morning they set out whether by day or by night if it lifted in the day they set out if it lifted in the night they set out in the night whenever somebody say whenever whenever the cloud lifted they set out here's our final verse Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they followed. Uh, There is such a powerful presence of God. Oh God, speak now. Amen. I thank you for standing and you may be seated. I probably don't have to convince you that we live in an ever-changing world. The elders among us know and are often anxious about it, but even young people know 
that ours is a trending society. Things have changed and do, and that right quickly. It's a constant shift from one idea to the next. Coupled with this continued state of flux is the need to be fulfilled. So we find ourselves clogging up our lives, trying to fill ourselves with a significance and perhaps entertainment. I dare say that priorities are being pressed on every side. We are left to choose what we'll do every day. To the Church of New Life Fellowship, may I offer this to you and to myself. We are blessed in ways that we might not have known. I guess a few years now and some gray hair has afforded me the opportunity to speak to many pastors around the country. I'm connected. Some of the pastors that I speak to tell of their worship styles and their facilities, the buildings that they occupy, and their constraints in services and worship. In some parts of the country, not always in big cities, but usually there, and other parts of the world even, to own a building is very difficult. Buildings are virtually impossible to purchase. Such is the case in Ireland, where one of the missionaries sat with me for an hour to explain the constraints of just buying a building, even a small one. But a lot of our metropolitan areas have the same constraints. So they will rent a facility to have worship services. Sometimes it's a hotel room, a ballroom, a gymnasium, and chairs are set up for every service, and they're stacked and taken down. Small platforms are put in place, maybe just 18 inches high, and sound systems are unloaded from trucks, and they're rolled out, and the cords are unraveled, and the little sound check is taken place, and then they're ready for church. If they're lucky... Maybe a screen with a portable projector is put in view for the guest. And they'll do this week after week, even on Bible study night, because they have no permanent place to call their own. It's a little taxing, the pastors tell me. But they are mostly grateful to have whatever place they can find. So when I say to all of us that we are blessed... I'm not sure if most can comprehend all that the Lord has provided for our church. One of my friends has church on a half acre lot and he has a small building and he has to have multiple services on Saturday and Sunday because the property is so expensive. It's hard on him because he preaches the same sermon over and over just to have enough room to fill up the building. He he can't build a building big enough, so he just uses what he has. The Lord has arrested my attention, and I say that with all humility. It's not turning of a phrase. I have to stand before him tonight and confess that he is the Lord. 
He is the Lord of this church. He is the Lord of my life. He is the Lord of my home and of our marriage. Jesus is the Lord of all. He is the Lord of all that we do in our house. He is the Lord of all that we do here in this house. Every program that we've ever thought of, regardless of our perceived success, has been provided by his mighty hand. It's always been by his grace. Every service that ended with wonder and blessings when people walked away and were so grateful for God, it was by virtue of his anointing and power. It was never man-made. All that we are and ever hope to be is because of him. No one in this house is sufficient of themselves. Even Paul wrote, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. Only God is good. So when I speak of him, which I am commissioned to do, I need to caution myself and just say, he is God. His voice is the only sound that will ever matter in my life. But I come a little burdened tonight. Is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel still true? I must ask of you, is it still not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord? Because I'm concerned that innovation has often crippled our reliance upon the name of Jesus and the blood of Calvary. I'm burdened because I see more and more that whatever is done is for naught. If he doesn't lead it and ordain it, I will tell you, we've got to let the Lord be the Lord of all. So the Lord has arrested my attention. He pointed me to the life of his people, Israel, who had to rely solely upon the direction of a cloud. I wonder if we rely solely upon the direction of his spirit. Or has the massive influx of of the internet and the information on the internet removed our need to seek for God and for an answer? What about our communication? When Israel needed to hear from God, they fell on their face. But when we need to hear something, we pick up our phones and call a friend or a neighbor or someone in the church for an answer. I wonder if we've had... If we have Googled God right out of our minds. But the Lord is calling for a people who will seek him. And I'm commissioned to preach his word. I know that the children of Israel had a bondage mentality. 430 years of labor. Hard labor will do that to any people. But when God rescued them, and Moses led them, they went by way of the Red Sea. They had to rely upon the provisions of the Lord. They had to learn how to live free and follow at the same time. Much to our dismay, when the Lord opened it up, they failed in belief and they gave up the promised land, the land that flowed with milk and honey, and traded it for dry places. But God still led them after their unfaithfulness unfolded and they needed to be led and fed and helped. The mercy of God endured yet still. He did not give up on them. Are you listening to me tonight? He didn't give up on them when they doubted his blessing. Instead, God gave Moses instructions because even in times of doubt and fear, God still desires to lead his people by his spirit. And so it was. 
that God provided a cloud, the cloud of glory. And then God spoke to Moses. And Moses ordered the building of God's plan for a tabernacle, a movable church service. Think of it. All of that moving that I read in your text from place to place. It might have been good to settle down for a little while. But what about a few months? Then taking the tabernacle down piece by piece. Carefully wrapping all the gold utensils and there were many of them. And then placing them in some cart or box and then transporting them. There were committees of men who had to disassemble the fabric that covered the holy of holies. They were careful not to tear it or make it unusable. Then the sides of the walls, all of fabric, all of it had to be handled with caution, taking heed to the most precious things around them. The tabernacle was moved and the work involved was no small task, far greater than my friends who rent a gymnasium or a high school room to have church. Some Jewish theologians and historians point to the fact that God had commissioned the tabernacle. And so by nature of his commission, he would also want them to be attentive to its handling so that they measured their dismantling of it in the same fashion that they built it. The artisans that made the gold artifacts, the bowls, the ladles of gold, had to be carefully wrapped for travel. Perhaps they rolled them in fine linen. That heavy bronze altar, which everyone wanted to approach, had to be cleaned and then carried by men whose sole job was to treat it with care and great concern. That bronze laver filled with water, as in the cases of the others, was one of a kind. It could not be damaged. It had to be treated carefully. Men had to know how to handle it. They had to know how to lift it. They knew how to, they had to put it on something so that it could be transported. Each time the cloud lifted, a crew had to manage the bronze laver. If it was one year or six months or nine months, or two years, or one week, or two days, or one day. They had to do it the same way. And the golden lampstand could not be managed like a lamp in your own home. This was God's anointed light. So while it might function in the same manner, no one thought of it as a usual or ordinary lampstand. It was the golden lampstand of the tabernacle. And there were people who were commissioned to care for this golden lampstand because it was of God. And when the cloud moved, they rushed in their place to get that golden lampstand put together so right so that it wasn't broken or bent. And the table of showbread, three feet long and two feet and one quarter inch wide. It was precise. It had to be carried by cautious men. The overlaid acacia wood with gold so that it had no chips in it and no scrapes and no smudges. And when the cloud lifted, they got in their place because there was a group of people who were designated to carry the table of showbread. That was their purpose, the table of showbread. They were not just...
just merchants. They were not just herdsmen. I'll tell you what they really were. They were carriers of the things of God. And everything else came second. How about the altar of incense? Where the fire of the Lord was never to go out. They had to take the fire from the altar and keep it burning. Wherever the cloud went, the fire had to continually burn. Even when they traveled, the fire could not go out. And when they finally settled, wherever the cloud finally rested, they had to put that same fire back into the top of the golden altar that was called the fire of the Lord. It was required to burn constantly before the Lord, day and night. It was a special incense. A mixture of spices from the apothecary for the use of the tabernacle so that the smell used in that in that in that golden fiery incense so that the smell had a smell of it unlike anything else you were not allowed to duplicate the fragrance that emanated in the tabernacle it had to be it had to be unique and in its place god thought of it as a matter of life and death, the fire. We might pass it by, but maybe you remember that two of Aaron's sons, maybe they were busy, maybe they become callous, but they thought they could put any old fire in it, and the Bible called their efforts strange fire. And when they entered strange fire and offered it to God in that altar of incense, God burned them up. And then he told everyone to carry their ashes out and don't weep over them or cry. Don't tear your garment. Don't rend your garment. Just carry their ashes out of the tabernacle because the altar was critical. The gold itself was difficult to manage. The weight of us all was heavy. Then came the veil. That thick barrier that separated the holy place from the holiest of holies. Fifteen feet wide and so very high. Dust and mold could not infect it the veil could not could not just be cast aside they had to safely carry it and to all who might stumble into that place it had to be erect it had to be in its place to hide the ark of the covenant because anyone who got in there might die the veil was critical and finally the ark of the covenant itself the prized possession of all of israel where the cloud finally rested and consumed the blood sprinkled on it. The family of priests attended to the transportation of the ark. Poles slid in golden hoops on its side. And all of them had to be careful not to touch it with their hands lest they die. Yuza would one day put his casual hand on the ark of the covenant to steady it thinking he was helping God, and he died on the spot. It cost him his life. These things were no common items. They belonged to the Lord. They made up the centerpiece of the entire nation. Hundreds of thousands of people camped around this small thing. Reuben and Simeon and Gad was on the south side. Dan and Asher and Naphtali lived on the north side, and the thousands of them that were there. The west side hosted Ephraim and Manasseh and Benjamin. And finally, the east side, where the entrance of the tabernacle was, it hosted Issachar and Zebulun and Judah, 
which was the tribe of people located right in front of the tabernacle's entrance. Hundreds of thousands of people gathered around this thing. Most biblical historians count them as three million strong. They gathered around. You looked out, it was a sea of people of all kinds of tents and dwellings, movable shacks. But in the middle of this was a very small 100 feet, 150, 150 foot long curtain and, and 75 foot long curtain, just 150 by 75. That was the tabernacle of Moses. The back half was covered with hides of sea cows, making it waterproof. They had to take that down. It was so heavy. And camouflaging the rich interior from enemies. There were more layers of ram skin dyed red and then goat's hair that covered that. And then underneath it all was that of the fine twisted linen made of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. A cherubim was embroidered in the top of it by skilled craftsmen so that when you looked up, you saw the blue, purple yarn, the golden cherubim. All the crossbars, an upright frame of acacia wood covered overlaid with gold had to be taken down and then reassembled. Then at the base, the silver bases that actually touched the stones, and then those stones are often transported to, and I've left out so many things for the sake of time, posts and golden ties and clips and tools for leveling, le- leveling and the garments of the priest and that of the high priest, which garnished the precious stones. All of it had to be moved, not just once or twice, not for a single year, but for 40 years straight. Whenever the cloud lifted, they moved. And whenever the cloud stayed, they stayed. No movement. And then much movement. If it tarried for two months, at the day that the cloud moved, everybody got up out of their place and they went to the tabernacle and they started to do the function of the tabernacle. If the cloud hovered for a whole year, then perhaps they were able to settle in for that span of time. But they always watched the cloud, a pillar of cloud by day, and it appeared as a pillar of fire by night. A year might be a little easy. At least you could set up camp and kind of have a good time, stretch your arms out. A year might give them enough time to unpack personal items. You could even scout out the area and have people over for dinner a year even a few months might have helped them establish some sort of normalcy of life six months and maybe you could add to your living but here's the most challenging verse and i read it to you and i read it to you again in numbers 9 21 sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening until morning which means You just got done unpacking it and setting it up. You just got done unrolling, unraveling all the fabric. If your crew was on the fabric of the sea cows and you had to labor that and you had to put it up and you finally got home and you went to bed. But in the morning, the cloud lifted. You got up off of your bed and you went back to the fabric and you rolled it up again because the cloud was moving. And they had to watch it. And they had to wait for it. Because to move without the cloud meant that they would have sacrifice but no God. And they could not afford to live without the Spirit. The cloud did not consider what you wanted to do. The cloud was not patient on a woman in travail. The cloud of glory, the fire of night, did not wait until the break of dawn. 
it could move in the middle of what we call our night. And if the fire got up and start moving, you got up out of your tent, you got up out of your bed, you rushed over to that, that, that tabernacle and you start taking off the loops and you get out the fine linen and you start putting all those golden utensils because you cannot afford to live without the cloud. It's obvious from the scripture that it never contemplated the convenience of the people. The cloud was not a seeker-friendly church. It never adjusted the air conditioning. It never measured out how comfortable the seating was. Oh. It didn't have a little suggestion box in the foyer. It wasn't concerned with your opinions. It never read your Facebook post. It never considered your Twitter account. It didn't care about your Instagram. It didn't care about what you thought because the cloud was the spirit of God and the object of the people. They looked upon it because they knew that was the Lord. He was the cloud, the emblem of the most high God. And when he moved, they moved. And when he stayed, they stayed. And all the fellowships had to pause. And all the conversations ended. Games might be in the middle, but they had to stop. Fun times, family meetings, business, all business. Took a back seat to the movement of the cloud of glory. Nothing trumped the hovering pillar. Nothing surpassed it. Nothing was better than it. Their lives hinged on the movement of the Lord of hosts. No business or busyness, not family or friends, our home repair, our personal gain or personal time. If that cloud lifted, they got up and they moved with it. But what if it lifted right after you set up the tent? What if it lifted after you got home and two days had passed and you're just now unpacking your own stuff and it lifted? What if you just got back to your own movable home and suddenly without warning in the middle of the night you'd been done, you'd done everything you could and the cloud changed its position in the sky? Well, go ahead, get mad all you want, Israel. Stay if you want, but you die in the desert and you know it. Go ahead, take off. Do what you think you want to do. But if you move without the cloud, you'll have function without relationship. You'll end up with formality, but you won't have the presence. I stand here to ask the church, can God interrupt your plans? I don't have it with me, but we have a service agenda for every service. Who's going to do what function? What songs are going to be sung? If there are a time when announcements need to be made, a time when the offering needs to be taken, a time when prayer is going to be introduced. But I hope that it's only a guide and that it's only set in clay and not in stone. Because if we are operating, if you're operating by your own mindset and your own ideas and your own philosophies, then he is not the Lord of all. But oh God, I pray, be the Lord of all. His presence is all that matters. I'm asking you tonight, can God interrupt you? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. 
He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. If you follow, you'll have the light of life. See, I'm preaching about the movement of the Spirit and about His kingdom. And I pray that innovation doesn't cripple us and convenience does not wound our desperate spirits. Yes. What if there is a pause in the service? What if God puts his hand of stay upon you, but you are anxious to move? You're racing to move. You've got reasons to decide, but the cloud didn't lift. I wonder how many people would stay around the church if we had to set up the seats every time we came. I wonder how many people get weary if all the cords to the microphones had to be unrolled and re-rolled after every worship service. I wonder how many people come to the house because it's convenient But if it gets a little hard, they'll say, the Lord's leading me somewhere else. You know that's a lie. We've put the word of God to cover our infractions and ill motives that are not of God. When the cloud of glory is the only thing that matters. I tell you, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by his spirit, saith the Lord. We are not innovative enough to heal any person of any disease. We don't have enough catchphrases and enough hype to change the disposition of a person from being lost to being saved. There's not enough intellectualism in this house to change the mode of an entire family and give their life to God. That is all by the, whole, the, the hand of the Lord. I don't care how talented we we get. I don't care how practiced we are. I'm going to tell you, the Lord doesn't need our talent and he doesn't need our ability. He can do it all by himself. I'm thankful for all the talent. And I'm not just talking about musical talent. I'm I'm thankful for all the talent in the church. But the Lord was God before you were born. And he doesn't need your talent. All he wants the people to do is follow the cloud. Follow my spirit. I want to tell somebody here tonight, shame on you if you think that your ability is so great, you'll never hold God hostage. Because he can raise up from these stones. He can put a voice in the stone. And if you don't want to praise him, he can take the rocks and make them worshipers. I'm preaching about the Lord of all. I'm preaching about the cloud of glory. And wherever you go, that's where I've got to be. I got to tell somebody here tonight, I'm not good. There's nothing good in me. No, not one. None of us are good. But it was the grace and mercy of God that made us. And before you get so arrogant to think that the, that the church can't live without your tithes and without your offerings. He don't need your money to provide for his people. You put
put together Jeff Bezos. Go ahead and put together Warren Buffett. Go ahead and throw in there everybody that you can. Get all the billionaires that you can. Get the 27 families that own most of the money in the world. I'm going to tell you right now, one little offering from a widow woman can go farther than everything. So when you think that the church can't live without your check, I'm going to tell you right now, honey, he can do it before he did it before you came. He can do it after you leave. He doesn't need me. I need him. I got to have him. Don't you know why we go down in Jesus' name? I'll tell you why we go in the water in Jesus' name. Because it's not the water that's going to admit our sins. It's obedience in the name which is above every name. Hold on a second. You ain't got that. You see, the name is what we're after. You got to follow after the name. And if you ever end up in a church that doesn't preach about the name, you're in big trouble. Because you can have community, but you don't have a move of God until you speak the name. Because the Bible said he has given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus. I'm watching the cloud here. Oh, the cloud moves. Oh, the cloud moves. And then there's a little lull in the service. The cloud's moving. And the cloud's there. But we don't know it has stayed. We're kind of wanting to get, come on, get it going, get it going. Hold on. Wait a second. The cloud is moving. So people walk in and you sit and you're watching. You don't know what's really happening up front or on a side or in the back. But there's a cloud moving. What you ought to do is race after the cloud. Tammy and I are sitting in a big conference last this year. One of our good friends, her daughter walked in and sat with her. We didn't know what was going on, but I felt something happening. And I turned around while worship was going on. And I reached out and grabbed her hand. And Tammy reached out and grabbed her, her, her by the shoulders. And they began to, we began to pray. And something began to happen. 3,000 people were in that building. But right where we were, the cloud was settling on that place. And people came from the platform to get to that, that row. And they were pressing in. Why? Because if you love the Lord, you want to get around where the fire is falling. I want to tell you, we can ill afford to have church without Jesus. You ought to make up your mind. I'm not going to have church without the Holy Ghost move of God. I don't care if it's Wednesday night or Tuesday night or Thursday night or Friday night or Sunday morning. you got to have Jesus. we got to have a move of God in this house. We cannot have a throwaway service. we got to have the fire. we have the cloud. we got to have God move in this place. I'm a little cautioned here to say it. After the youth choir walked up here with such powerful anointing so I'm not talking about tonight but church without the glory well that's just a performance 
I love the singers. But unless you're anointed, that's just a performance. We can ill afford to have a performance. No performances in this house. Sing the best you can. Practice, David said. I play skillfully with a loud noise. Practice, 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 and then sing unto the glory of God. And I have preached in this pulpit, and not one person echoed me, but I just kept on preaching because I knew it was the word of God. Most of the time you do. But if I lived and died by all the responses of the people, I'd been dead a long time ago. I want to tell you, sometimes you got to sing. Sometimes you got to pray. Sometimes you got to prophesy. Sometimes you got to teach. To a, to a valley full of dead bones but if God is in it he's going to raise up the valley he's going to put somebody in fire he's going to send his glory I'm after the cloud whether you respond or not I'm here because the cloud is here let me just tell all the preachers in the building if you preach without anointing, everything you say is humanism. Because you're telling us what you think. I want to know what thus saith the Lord. If you ever prayed for me, pray that God will talk through me. And that I'd be small so he could be great. That I'd be diminished so he could grow and be magnified. Because chances are, elders, in my own mind, I probably don't have the word for the people. But if I speak what the Lord has to speak, elder, and if the cloud moves in, something transforms this place. Hear me, all of the city wants to find a place where at night there's a fire falling. And for all the things that happen, programs and events. You see, without godly purpose, all of that is earthy. (laughs) I love our 4th of July event. It's a fun time. They had me sing the national anthem. And I practiced it. And I got it. Got it down. Let's kick it off, Pastor. Brother Zach was on the on the keyboard, but it was going to be a cappello. And I start singing. Oh, say can you say it was greater? I got to the last line. And the home of the brave. Is that the last line? I had no idea what home I'm talking about. I didn't know where I was. My, my brain went blank, fell into a deep fog. The saints are so kind. They didn't think I forgot. People were talking, up, talking to Sister Tammy and saying, you know, I think the pastor just got touched. He must have started crying up there. <laughs> People were giving me the benefit of the doubt. I guess he hasn't been sleeping long. I know he knows all the words. I think he was crying. He's so patriotic. That's what they told her. Finally, Brother Zach looked over at me. He mouthed the first word. You could have said it earlier, but he was just waiting for me. Long pause. Thank God. Thank God, Brother Zach. I thank the Lord for you. Give him a clap offering. He needs a something. 
And I, thanks you, I finished it out. But I got off the platform and I thought, now why could not I remember that? I'm so, I love the fireworks and it's patriotic, but I'll tell you what the best part it is. It's before all of that starts when Tammy and I get to walk through that crowd. We're like kids in a candy shop going up and hugging people and telling them, I'm so glad you're here. I'm looking to the faces of 1,200 people, lost souls, and they're going to spend eternity somewhere. I'm not having a firework display just so we can look at colors and feel patriotic. I want the cloud of glory in the yard and on the parking lot and on the highway. There's got to be a godly purpose. I'll tell you what we're not. We're not the Moose Lodge. We're not the Elk Lodge. I'll tell you what we're not. We're not the Order of the Elks. We're not the local Union Lodge. We're not the Messianic Lodge. We are the Bride of Jesus Christ. And this is the church. Stand right now with you, with me. Stand now. <laughs> Give me that front line of, of youth choir singers. Give me that front line of youth choir singers with the microphones. That front line, that last front line. Give me that. Thank you. Oh, oh God. <laughs> I told our ministry team tonight there's several different kind of prayers but I know of two different kind of prayers there's the prayer that we seek for the mighty hand of God That's, that consumes most of our prayers the hand of God The mighty hand of God is when we ask for our needs to be fulfilled or for miracles or for a display of his power. That's his mighty hand. Most of our petitions and requests fall into the category of prayer, praying for his hand. But there's another prayer. It's when we seek for his face, his glory. And we worship him for who he is. We present ourselves and say, Lord, I'm here because I love you. Because you're God. I follow you, Lord, wherever you take me. When I want to move and you're not moving, I'm going to stay. When you move and I'm weary, I'm going to move because you are God and God alone. I make you the Lord of my life here.